Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much more. On her radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues, as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or are notable immigrants themselves. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration Tuesdays at 10 a.m. on DC 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Tamina Talks Immigration on DC 1250 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on this gloomy, gray Tuesday morning. I hope you got into work without any issues and you didn't get wet. Um, You know, this show is all about immigration and we are live on air at your on your radio station, 1250 a.m. We are also live on Facebook. If you've joined us on Facebook. Hello. Um, I have my dear friend Inoka Herat here. I'll talk about her in just a moment. Um, And, you know, we've known each other for so long I'm just so <laughs> grateful you're here on the on the radio um, for those of you who are new to Tamina Talks Immigration, this show is all about immigration and only immigration. We talk about immigration updates and the law um, policies as well as what's happening uh, in a day-to-day life as well as talking to people who are making a difference um, in immigration whether they are notable immigrants who can be inspiring, but also people like Anoka who are making a big difference to immigration policies and laws. Um, So thank you so much for tuning in. If you have questions or comments, you can call us at the studio at 844-301-1250, If you have questions, you can um, email us at contact at desi1250am.com or even at my law firm um, email, which is info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. If you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration on Desi 1250 AM. And a reminder that we do have a Facebook page. For 18 months, we didn't have a Facebook page. And sort of dove into this radio show without really realizing all the things that need to go with it. Um, But now we have a Facebook page that has about 10,000 likes. And we have a lot of followers. And it's a way to interact with uh, the show. So if you didn't know about the Facebook page, please um, like it on uh, Tamina Talks Immigration Radio Show on Facebook. Um, You know, just a few handful of news updates before we start talking with Anoka about all the important things that she's doing. First of all, my heart goes out to all the London victims in Finsbury Park. For people who didn't know, I uh, grew up near Finsbury Park. Actually, that's my neighborhood in London. And, uh, you know, my first thought was, gosh, are my family okay? My family and friends. Luckily, my family uh, is completely okay. Um, Our friends did not get uh, affected so much, but they were helping uh, during the incident. Um, It's a very tragic time for London in general, but this particular incident is really, really heartbreaking. But that also brings us to uh, the incident that happened in Virginia with a Muslim girl being killed, Nabra Hassanan. And my heart goes to the family and, you know, a shout out to everybody out there. You know, just be safe. Um, Watch your whereabouts and be keep your wits about you we are in dangerous times and this is a holy month of ramadan uh, and it's just tragic that all these things are happening during this time um, so please be safe. Uh, and if you have uh, suspicious um, items going around, you know, that you see or suspicious people around you, you know, just be wary and notify the police. 
Um, and that brings us to immigration news. And you may remember that, um, and you remember this, when the executive orders were signed in um, uh, in late January, there was a draft executive order that was going to rescind the DAPA, the Deferred Action for Parents of Children uh, who are U.S. citizens or green card holders. That was not signed at the time, but it was signed a, a couple of days ago, unfortunately. So that program has, you know, formally been rescinded now. And even though there wasn't really any hope for it, uh, there really isn't any hope at all anymore. Uh, but the good news is uh, deferred action for childhood arrival, children who arrived here uh, before the age of uh, 15, uh, before 2007. And our listeners and viewers will know that we have been speaking about DACA a lot in our early shows uh, with a lot of DACA um, examples. Uh, that program has currently been spared. It's going to continue for the time being. Um, so if you do have um, an application pending, I don't think it's going to be denied, at least not yet anyway. So watch out. If you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration on DC 1250. Thank you so much for joining us. We are on Facebook Live. If you're in your car and you're getting into work, make sure you tune in. Um, so uh, we have a wonderful guest, Anoka Herat is here. I have known Anoka for a very long time, and she is doing some amazing work. And before we start speaking with her, um, I'm just going to introduce you to her properly. So Anoka Herat is the Police Practices and Immigration Counsel for the ACLU of Washington, Woohoo! Um, where she pushes Washington to live up to its promises of being a welcoming state for immigrants. She previously worked at the Washington Defenders Association's Immigration project where she supported public defenders in navigating the immigration consequences of criminal offenses. She graduated from the University of Washington Law School in 2010 where she was co-president of the Immigrant Family Advocacy Project, a member of the Innocence Project Clinic and an editor of the Washington Law Review. After law school, Anoka served as a ju judicial clerk at the Seattle Immigration Court for two years through the DOJ's Honors Program. She is a former president of the South Asian Bar Association of Washington and, and is currently on the board of One America. Anoka is a child of Sri Lankan immigrants and lives in Beacon Hill with her husband and two children. Welcome, Anoka. Thank you so much, Tamina. Thank you so much for being here. You know, we don't really have a lot of time to talk about all the interesting things you're talking about, so I'm just going to dive into it. Well, first, I just wanted to say that during law school, Tamina was a mentor to me. She was a as a South Asian woman, as an immigration attorney, as a mother. You have always been a role model to me. And I remember you used to bring your daughter to legal events, and I followed suit when I had a little one. And so I just want to say it's such an honor to be here. You've always been Thank such you. a wonderful mentor. So Thank, Thank you, you so much. And on that note, actually, my daughter, who's now seven, <laughs> I don't take her to many of these events anymore, but uh, she's actually here because it's the summer break. <laughs> and she wanted to see mommy at the radio station, so she She's here. Um, so thank you. Well, I'm going to dive into it. So you have been doing a lot of work um, helping uh, create policies in law enforcement. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Sure. So um, as I'm sure you and your listeners know, there's about 11 million people in the U United States who are undocumented. And this administration, the Trump administration, has said that they want to deport 3 million people. And in America, we don't have a national police force. We have ICE agents, but you know there's about 15,000 of them, and so they can't deport three million people. And so, the Trump administration has done all, as much as they can to sort of um, coerce and incite law enforcement to be a part of these deportation forces. And um, one of the ways they've done that is through making what's called an ICE detainer, a new ICE detainer, um, to help law enforcement 
to encourage law enforcement to hold people if they've ever had any any sort of contact with police. And so we're working with um, law enforcement across the state to to recognize that actually that those kinds of actions are not good for public safety. They really undermine our safety and the, the safety of our communities. And that's because when police are seen as an extension of the immigration system, they're less likely, people are less likely to come forward and report crime. They're less likely to come and show up as witnesses. And that trust between a community and law enforcement is so critical. And so anytime that one community is targeted, it really impacts all of us. Can I take you back a little bit to the executive order? Because one of them did say, uh, the one about interior enforcement, that they want the police to act as immigration officers. Is that right? That's right. And, And then we had our governor say, we're not going to do this. And then we had our Seattle police chief say, we're not going to do it. But if it's signed in the executive order, what what's the impact of it? Well, so there is since immigration law is federal law, um, it, it has to be enforced by federal agents. And so state law, law enforcement, local law enforcement, they don't have the authority to enforce immigration law. Um, There are these agreements called 287G agreements, but that would deputize a local police officer to act as an immigration agent, but no jurisdiction in Washington has that. And so really, it's up to the discretion of law enforcement, local law enforcement, to go out of their way to enforce immigration laws. And so you know, we, we know that that takes resources, that takes time, and that takes money, and that time and money is not compensated by the federal government. So it really is a waste of our limited local resources to go after um, non-citizens or undocumented people. You know, that really is um, the purview of the federal government. So just to be clear, what you're saying is the executive order says the police have to act as, a, as ICE, uh, Immigration and Custom Enforcement, but they really have to use the police budget that's allocated within those precincts or jurisdictions. And essentially, they have to use their resources for immigration purposes. That's the in, the imposition coming from the federal government. That's right. I mean, and, and the federal government can't commandeer the states to enforce immigration law because it's federal. And so it isn't a demand in, as such. It's not a mandate. It's a request, really, mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and there's ways administration. So, for example, the administration on um, the DOJ's website was was listing law enforcement, local law enforcement agencies that weren't complying with immigration enforcement to sort of shame them and right, <laughs> to right. coerce them. And the Washington State Sheriff's Association wrote a letter to DHS saying, you know, that's that's a really unfair practice because we are working within the Constitution, <laughs> you know, mm. and we're not going to um, hold people on these ICE detainers because they're not constitutional. We're going to continue enforcing Washington state law and our local law. Mm. And that's our right. And so stop trying to shame us into, mm-hmm. you know, contradicting those laws. So tell us about what you're doing with these police jurisdictions. What is your role and what are you trying to help achieve? Sure. So we... Um, we sent a letter to law enforcement across the state um, explaining some of these because they there was a directive and a new detainer that was issued by the Trump administration in April, I believe. And we found that it had very confusing and misleading language that made it look like things like ICE detainers were constitutional. So we sent a letter to law enforcement agencies explaining the case law, explaining how it works under Washington state's Constitution and the U.S. Constitution, and inviting um, them, different departments, 
to allow us to review some of their policies, to make sure that their policies institutionalize these constitutional practices. Um, and so we've been able to work with some departments to do that. And you know, one of the things that I really love about this work is that I just feel like we're so lucky to be in Washington State. You yes. know, there is, um, yeah, this, mm-hmm. this state and so many of the cities here really want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, lo- I think police officers know better than anyone mm-hmm. in some sense that that building that trust and not enforcing immigration policy is actually the best thing for our communities. It's mm-hmm. the it's the most efficient thing, it uh, saves the most resources, and it builds the most trust. You know, we had Sheriff Urquhart here too, right. and he spoke about some of these things. That's uh, right, he's been a leader. Yeah, he's been a, an absolute leader on making sure that the it, it trickles down, basically. Right. Yeah, so he's been setting setting the, the tone. So um, you've mentioned some of these things that I wanted to go over, but do us non-citizens criminals <laughs> no it is not it is not a crime to be in the u.s unlawfully it's not a crime and that was clarified by the u.s supreme court in arizona v u.s okay and then um you know you mentioned detainers and a lot of you know listeners may not know what that is can you explain what a detainer is sure it's a detainer is a request from ice to a local jail to hold someone who is a non-citizen after they're supposed to be released, so let's say they've served their sentence, so after that, so that ICE can come and pick them up and take them to immigration detention and investigate to see whether they they should be subject to um, removal or deportation hearings. And what's wrong with that? And so these, like I said, these are requests. They're not mandatory. And um, there has been a lot of case law to say that when a local police officer or a department or station hold someone on one of these requests, it's actually unconstitutional. It violates their Fourth Amendment right because um, these ICE detainers don't have probable cause and don't have judicial <clears throat> warrants. And so one thing that was confusing about the new detainer is that there's literally a box that an ICE agent can check that says probable cause. Mm. <laughs> and now they have to come with an administrative warrant, but you know, typical criminal warrants are reviewed by a neutral judge and are signed by a judge, but these are not that. Administrative warrants are issued by ICE, check a box to say probable cause, it's never reviewed by a judge, and so they don't, they still continue to be unconstitutional because they don't meet those Fourth Amendment requirements that all other sort of detainers from other law enforcement agencies require. Interesting. So let's say there's a listener here who somehow manages to get in trouble for whatever reason. Maybe they were driving too fast and now they've been taken into mm-hmm. custody. Um, and now let's say an, a, a police officer is waving a, a, a nice detainer saying, we've had this. Does that person have the right to say, you do not have the right to take me to detention? Uh, where is the warrant? Yes. I mean, they don't, they, a uh, uh, police officer should not hold somebody longer um, because of an ICE detainer. And also under the Washington state constitution, we have privacy rights as well. And so um, an officer shouldn't question someone longer than, you know, especially if they're picking someone up for something like that, let's say a traffic stop or something. You know, immigration has nothing to do with a traffic stop. Immigration has nothing to do with most every (laughs) Washington or local crime. And so for a police officer to stop someone and and question them further or 
do any sort of investigation around their immigration status or their right to be here, all that is extending a stop, and that is unconstitutional under the Washington Constitution. Got it. So if a listener, the, the, the two things that the listener must be aware of is if they are detained, whether they are undocumented or not, uh, for whatever reason, if they're detained, they and, and a police officer says, here's a detainer, they should be asking for to see the detainer, but they should be asking, where is the accompanying judicial, judicial warrant, warrant, not That's administrative. Right. That's right. Okay. Yep. So That's two right. things they have to watch out for. That's right. Anything else that we should talk about on the law enforcement? I have many other questions to ask you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, the police are, especially under this administration, police are really the gatekeepers to the deportation system. And so, um, you know, that's why police can play a really important role in 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 making sure that that is as in line with our civil rights as possible. Got it. Okay, wonderful. So I want to talk a little bit about the courthouse mm-hmm. uh, situation because it's if anybody listens to NPR, it's been playing every day in the last few days. Um, and, uh, you know, the Washington State Bar Association has stepped in. The Supreme Court of Washington has stepped in. I- explain a little bit about what's going on at the moment to the listeners. Okay, great. Well, so... Um, so ICE can enforce, ICE, the federal agents who are in charge of enforcing immigration laws, they can go into lots of places in public areas to pick people up who they believe have violated immig- civil immigration laws. And typically they go to people's houses, maybe their workplaces. But historically, there are some places that they just do not go to. You know, they don't go to funerals. They don't go to schools. They don't go to hospitals. You know, there's certain places that are deemed sensitive locations where different administrations have felt, you know, this is inappropriate. We're not going to um, target people in these locations. And courthouses were sort of fell under that category um, because because people go to court for so many different reasons and because um, court has been seen as a place, it's where people report crime, it's where people, you know, go and if if they're survivors of domestic violence, they can go and get restraining orders. They go play, people get married at court. <laughs> you know, there's, court is such a part of our um, civil life, you know, and such an important part. And um, there's always a sense of that it should be a safe space for people, you know, and, um, and so this administration, and while in the past, there might have been sort of exceptions and under extreme circumstances, people might have gone to the courthouse, uh, ICE might have gone to the courthouse to arrest people. This administration has been really bold and um, sort of in an unprecedented way, they have said, actually, there's a preference to go to courthouses because it's safer for ICE agents, which to me is, um, you know, is is sort of a lame excuse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because what ends up happening is just like with law enforcement, when you see ICE at a courthouse, you're not going to show up. You know, you're not going to go report crime. You're not going to go get that restraining order. Mm -hmm. You're not going to show up as a witness, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because you're going to be afraid that doing so would lead to deportation. And we've seen that it has had a chilling effect on all those things across the country. And in Washington state, there have been seven counties so far that have reported that ICE has been in or around courthouses. Mm-hmm. You know, And so sometimes they might not go right inside, but they'll be waiting in the parking lot for someone or they'll be blocking the entrance mm-hmm. so that you know when people come in and go out. Mm-hmm. And that is really concerning. And mm-hmm. I think that undermines us, our sense of justice, it undermines our sense of fairness, and it undermines our access to the courthouse. If you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration, and we're here with Enoka Herat from the ACLU of Washington. What does that mean for due process? What does that mean for basically cases that are pending? What does it mean for public safety? Well, if people aren't reporting crime, that means there are perpetrators of crime that are not being held accountable and they're not being brought to justice. Or, um, you know, if someone is 
is meant to be a witness to a crime or or um, or as a defendant even, you know, but they don't, but they're afraid to go to a courthouse and they don't show up. You know, crimes are going unsolved and crimes are, um, and also people aren't able to, to, yeah, get redress for their grievances. And so that really yeah. um, goes to our fundamental sort of rule of law. And so I think that's why Supreme Court justices in Washington and in California have spoken out and tried to get DHS and ICE to change their practices. And most recently, the Washington State Bar Association, which represents 35,000, all the lawyers in Washington mm-hmm. who are licensed to practice, um, they they spoke out. And, you know, their board of governors represents all of Washington, mm-hmm. including, you know, Republican and Democrat districts. And, um, and they unanimously decided to speak out. And I think that's because as lawyers, we understand that that this is not a sustainable right. model. You know, this, right. is, this is not. You know, it, it trust in the legal system and in courthouses is crucial. Well, it's another example of the leadership we have in Washington exactly. State. Really, exactly. Another um, reason to be proud. Really, Definitely. we are we are so incredibly lucky. Um, so we don't have a lot of time. I wanted to touch on um, FBI interrogations. So mm-hmm. tell tell us a little bit about what's going on mm-hmm. and what listeners need to be aware of. So we've been hearing reports that um, the FBI, because of their see something, say something um, campaign, people have have made reports about anyone they see as suspicious, and uh, the FBI follows up on those. And so we know that a lot of people in the Muslim, Sikh, South Asian, Middle Eastern communities have been approached by the FBI, either at their houses, at airports, um, you know, on the phone. And if that happens to any of your listeners, it's critical that you call CARE Washington, Council on American Islamic Relations. And you know, we've had Jasmine on the show oh, as well. Yes. So people are aware, but I will make sure that the information is um, uh, uploaded uh, when we put your information on. So they should contact CARE. Yes, and because CARE will will um, pair them up with an attorney, a free attorney, and it is critical to go to an FBI interview with an attorney so that um, an attorney can ensure that your civil rights, your immigration, um, rights, your criminal, everything can be protected, and so that you have sort of the best um, the best outcome from that interview. So we don't have too much time left, but uh, who are the types of people that are being targeted by FBI? Everyone. Anyone? Anyone and everyone. Really. So whether you're documented, undocumented, doesn't matter. You're doesn't being targeted. Matter, yeah. And if you are being um, requested to come for an interview, do you have the right to refuse? Of course, you have the right to refuse. But sometimes, you know, there's kind of a debate about whether going to an interview is the best course and that's why it's great to um, to talk to an attorney and really test out but sometimes there might be a hold on your immigration case mm-hmm. until you sort of clear it mm-hmm. with the FBI so sometimes it is in your interest to go to an interview again with an attorney um, so okay. but you all, and even at the interview you have the right to remain silent at all times so and you have the request to change the date even perhaps of course. yeah okay. you can plan it and and um, okay, so do not be afraid, perhaps, but make sure you get uh, counsel. Definitely, definitely get counsel. And then basically, the first step is to contact care. That's right. How do people get contacted? Are they getting a letter, or are they just being, you know, called by on the telephone? I think they're being approached in person, sometimes person. at their houses, um, and then they're also getting calls, is what I've heard. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, listeners, um, a lot of valuable information that you've just heard today, and we really don't have too 
much time to touch on air, uh, much of these. But Care Washington, you may remember that um, we had the civil rights attorney from Care on our show, and she talked much about what they do. And I will make sure that their information is posted again. Um, but essentially, if you do get uh, a call or approached by FBI, whether you are documented or undocumented, it sounds like anybody can be um, contacted. You do have the right to refuse and you do have the right to an attorney and you do have the right to not say anything at all. Um, any parting words in like 20 seconds? Well, I just want to say thank you again for having us. And um, if, if any one of your listeners has encountered anything that they feel like their rights have been violated, to please contact ACLU of Washington or CARE Washington. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Anoka. It's been a delight to have you here. Thank you, thank you for giving us so much valuable information. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you here next week, bright and early on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. This is Tamina Talks Immigration signing off. Bye-bye.